Hi, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, with the goal of engaging the city and impacting the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. Abraham Joseph. If you want to know more about Calvary Baptist Church and its ministries, head over to www.cbcnyc.org. Let's unite our hearts in prayer as we come before him. Our Father and our God, you are a great God and a great King above all gods. Because you reign, the earth rejoices and the coastlands are glad. Your people tremble before you, for you are enthroned on high, far above all powers, rule, and authority. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. We sing to you as long as we live. We rejoice in you for your faithfulness is new every morning and your loving kindness is everlasting. You are the God of our salvation. You redeemed us from our depravity and wickedness through the precious blood of your Son, whom you gave as a sacrifice for our sin, whom you raised from the dead, whom you have exalted to your right hand. You have united us to him by your Holy Spirit, whom you have given to indwell us and and unite us to your Son Jesus so that we are seated in him in the heavenlies. We look forward to his return in glory when our salvation will be complete. And we will be so formed in him that when we see him, we shall be like him. Our Father, while we wait for that day, you call us to live out that salvation in the power of the Holy Spirit as witnesses of Jesus Christ for your glory. However, we have failed in many ways to live such a life. We have lived as though sin is still our master. Instead of walking by the Spirit, we have gratified the desires of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident in our lives. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and much more that is abominable in your eyes. We confess these sins before you. Forgive us for the sake of our Savior, our Lord Jesus, who is the propitiation for all our sins. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness according to your gracious promise. Help us to yield to your spirit that he may produce in us his fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our Father, you have commissioned us as your people, your royal priesthood, to intercede for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we and the people of the world may lead a peaceful and quiet life. We pray that you help us to be faithful to our calling to be witnesses of Christ to all people, so that they may be saved through faith in Christ Jesus, the only mediator between God and man. We pray that you'll open wide countries that are trying to close their doors to the gospel. We pray that you will grant courage to your messengers to proclaim the gospel, even where they are persecuted, and and may they even see their enemies come to faith in Christ. We pray for the physical needs of many who are suffering in the world. We pray for relief from hunger and starvation in South Sudan, Kenya, Ethiopia and other African nations. We pray for mercy for those affected by the floods in Pakistan. We pray for an end to the communal violence and strife in Manipur, India. Have mercy, O God. We give you thanks for those who will testify to their faith in Christ publicly this afternoon through baptism. May their witness be an encouragement to them and to us that we stand in Christ alone, united to him in his death to sin and united to him in his resurrection to the newness of life. 
Thank you for blessing our children at camp last week and bringing them back safely. We pray for our students who leave on for their camp this week. Please grow them in their faith and hope in Christ, in their love for one another, and in their boldness in proclaiming the gospel through word and life. We bring before you for healing those who are sick and suffering amongst us. Emerson, uh, Stephen and Laura Rodriguez, for Bethan Moles, for Nii and others. We pray for your comfort and strength for our children and young adults who face enormous pressures in their physical and mental health. Help us as a church to be known as yours because of our love for you, for one another, and even to those outside of the faith, both in our city and throughout the world. Thank you for listening to our prayers, our Father. Please answer us according to your good and perfect will. Teach us, our God and King, to see thee in all things. And what we do in anything, help us to do it as unto you. For we ask in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Edmerl. Thank you for joining us, for leading us in worship this morning. Good morning. If you're joining us online, welcome. And if you're here for the first time or a, a recent visitor, uh, we're glad you joined us this morning for worshiping God with us. Let's go to God in prayer before we uh, look to his word. Our Father and our God, um, we are here to do that for which we were created, um, to worship you as our God and our Master, our Lord, our Father. And one day, Father, we know that everything we do will be worshipped, for the very presence of sin will be removed, and all that we are, all that we do, would be for your glory. And even now, Lord, by your Spirit, even in our eating and our drinking, we can do it as unto you for your glory. So this morning, I pray that you would glorify yourself in our worship, even in the hearing of your word. May it not be my words, but your words through me, by your Spirit, for your glory. Form us in Christ so that we may be faithful witnesses to him, for we ask in his precious name. So we're going to take a short break from our study of the Psalms. Uh, I'm sorry, study from the Gospel of Mark for the summer, and we will resume in September with the Transfiguration. Start, start reading chapter 9 over the summer. Uh, last summer we did a mini-series in uh, Select Parables, and this summer we're doing a short series on Select Psalms. Uh, Pastors Tim and, and Jim will also preach a psalm in the series. We are calling it a few of our favorite psalms. But that's what these are, a few of our personal favorites. This morning we are in Psalm 16. Uh, we opened the series with one of my all-time favorite psalms. Last week someone asked me, uh, what is your life verse? I said, well, I don't have a life verse because it takes the whole counsel of God to speak to my life. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I do have a psalm that captures the essence of life for me, and it is uh, this psalm. When, when do you feel most uh, secure in life? When do you feel safe? <laughs> Same first answer in both services. <laughs> when you pray. When you're with your loved ones. What's that? 
when the rent check is paid, not when it comes in. And <laughs> or the rent. When do we feel most secure? Or maybe asking the, what's that, Ted? When you get up in the morning, before you're, you face the, the dangers of the day. Maybe that, that's what I should ask you, uh, the opposite question. When do you feel most unsafe in life? Physically, spiritually, mentally? On the train, that also was an answer given in the first service. What is it about these trains? <laughs> when you have unaddressed life liabilities. Walking in the dark. <laughs> I think that captures it all. <laughs> we fail, we feel, that's right, he, you know, he's consistent. He is, feels safe when his eyes are closed in sleep. He feels unsafe when his eyes are open. <laughs> Thanks, Carlos. Before we uh, examine the psalmist's source of security, his well-being, his sense of safety, a brief word on the psalms. So this may seem elementary to some of you, but it's helpful. See, when we refer to the whole collection of the psalms, we call them the psalms, plural, or the book of psalms. But when we refer to individual psalms, we call them psalm, singular, not psalms or uh, psalms chapter such and such. So today we are going to look at Psalm 16, not Psalms 16 or Psalms chapter 16. It's just a pet peeve I wanted to get out of the way before we... Uh, <laughs> um, also, if you would like to read up on the use of Psalms in the personal and corporate Christian life, uh, I highly recommend these two uh, books. Uh, Lewis's uh, Reflection on the Psalms and, and Bonhoeffer's Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. Uh, my understanding and, and my use of the Psalms in my life have been enhanced by both of these uh, short works. We are looking at Psalm 16 today, and it's been called a psalm of confidence, a psalm of unparalleled trust, an oath of loyalty, an affirmation of trust, a psalm of confident resting in God. A psalm begins with a petition for safety. Preserve me, O God. Keep me safe, O God. And ends on a joyful note. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. So what is this pathway that the psalmist takes to move from a great concern for his safety that he cries out to the Lord to joyful assurance of his well-being? We will look at his journey in, in five parts. So turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 16, which is in the book of Psalms. <laughs> we read in verse 1, a mictum of David Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. A mictum of David. That's right. The, the superscription that you find is a part of Scripture. It's not an editorial addition by the translators. Several, if not most of the Psalms, have some superscription or the other. And these are helpful in the interpretation of the Psalm. They provide important clues for understanding the Psalm. Uh, they provide us uh, the, often the, the name of the author of the Psalm or the context in which the Psalm was written or the nature of the Psalm. So what is a mictum? Unfortunately, the meaning of this word is lost to us. However, there are only six Psalms that have this particular superscription, a mictum. 
Psalms 56 to 60, and this one, Psalm 16, and all of them are Psalms of David. Well, Psalm 16 doesn't tell us what a mictum is, uh, anything more than that the psalm is a sictum, so mictum, Psalm 56 to 60 provides sufficient contextual information to show that these psalms were composed during times of trouble in David's life. Psalm 56, for example, was a mictum that was composed when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Psalm 57 was a mictum composed by him when he was fleeing from Saul. So it appears that a mictum is a prayer for deliverance, a cry to God for help when one is in danger, when one is in need of protection. Furthermore, the, the superscription on Psalm 60 tells us that a mictum also serves to instruct people on, on how they ought to, especially the people of God, and how they ought to think, how they ought to behave during times of trouble when they are in danger. See, the world remains fraught with all kinds of dangers. Just keep your eyes open, as Carlos tells us. And God's people have unique dangers that confront us, physical, spiritual. So a mictum such as this one could instruct us on how to live as God's people in a fallen world that's fraught with many dangers and troubles. The psalmist cries out, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Uh, his, his prayer is that God would preserve him, God would keep him safe. Nothing is said of what danger or peril uh, that, that confronts the psalmist uh, and occasions this prayer. We do not know what threat he faces, but whatever the threat may be, the prayer arises from the psalmist's trust in God as his refuge, from whatever danger it is that confronts him. He seeks refuge in God, indicating that, that it, this is his usual practice when confronted with danger. His prayer for protection flows from his faith in God. He seeks God's protection in this present danger, even as he has sought and found it in the past. Calvin writes, God is ready to help all of us, provided we rely upon him with a sure and steadfast faith that he takes under his protection none but those who commit themselves to him with their whole heart. Where do we find safety in our times of trouble? Where do we find refuge? How do we move from this petition for safety to the song of joy? Let's, let's, let's learn from David, we read in verses 2 through 4, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. How does David move from a petition for safety to joyful praise? He remembers First, to whom he belongs. He belongs to Yahweh, his Lord. Uh, the psalm began with, uh, with a generic, with a, with a general word for God. Preserve me, O God. The word there is El. Uh, that's the word that just means God. But quickly we realize that the psalmist is not crying out to some generic God, but to that one God who had entered into a covenant relationship with his people as their God, Yahweh. I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. David belongs to Yahweh because Yahweh has made him his own. God has claimed David for himself and David is assured of God's care for those who belong to him. So the first step in, in, in moving from petition to praise is to take this posture of loyalty toward God who has made us his own. 
And the psalmist declares, I have no good apart from you. Literally, you are my good. There is none above you. If Yahweh is the creator of the universe, if Yahweh is the redeemer of Israel, if Yahweh is his Lord, can there be a higher good than God himself? It's not just that there's a list of goods of which God is the top good. But God is his only good thing. All that is good in his life is his because they are from God. James tells us the same thing. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. Paul asks the Corinthians, What do you have that you did not receive? If, you, if then, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? David does not boast in good things, but in, 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 in the good God from whom he has received all things. If, it's, if God is his greatest good, David delights in the people of God. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Uh, this is a further expression of his loyalty, his allegiance to God. To have God as his God is to have God's people as his people. And to delight in them because God delights in them. These people are saints. That is, they are set, set apart for God himself. Uh, God has set them apart for himself. They are excellent or glorious ones, not because of anything in them, but because God has made them his own. The, ex the, the, the excellent and glorious God has taken them to be his own possessions. We note from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 8, that God chose Israel not because she was a great nation, but because of his love for her. It is this covenantal relationship with Israel that made her an envy to the nations, as we see in Deuteronomy 4, 7 to 8. Nations will ask, what nation has a God like the God of Israel, who is with his people, who dwells with his people, who gives them good and perfect laws that they could walk in accordance to his ways. See, God's glory to the nations was to be revealed through his chosen people, and David delights in God's people. His delight flows from his loyalty to Yahweh who has chosen not just him but Israel to be his own. Furthermore, God's faithfulness to his people is assurance that he will be faithful to him to, in his time of trouble. Uh, there, there is safety to be found in the community of God's people when we are faced with danger. We do not have to face them alone. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. If David's loyalty uh, to God is positively expressed in his delight in God's people, it is negatively expressed in his refusal to acknowledge false gods. See, God has absolute claim over his people. The very first commandment is that they shall have no other gods before him. If God is his delight and if God is his sole good, he has no business trafficking in idols or taking the names of false gods on his lips or offering them sacrifices. See, Gentile nations believed that there was power in the blood sacrifices that they poured out or that the names of their gods had magical power. David knows that those who rely on these false gods only multiply their sorrows. Jonah would say, those who rely on idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Only in turning to Yahweh would one find refuge in the time of trouble. David is no fool. He knows where his loyalties ought to lie. So the very first step in that pathway from petition for protection to praise is to remain loyal to God who has made us, who has redeemed us, and made us his own. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. 
you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Uh, the second step in moving from petition to praise is to find one's contentment in God. David borrows heavily from the language of the distribution of the promised land to the 12 tribes in the time of Joshua. But here, for David, it's not the land. It is God who is his portion. It is God who is his cup. It is God who is his lot. God, it, is, it is God who is his inheritance. The boundary lines of his life are perfectly drawn or pleasantly drawn. Uh, the cup refers to the benefits that derive from the land, the food, the wine, and other provisions of God's sustaining grace. If he has no good apart from God, as he said in verse 2, then all these goods that are his are only by virtue of God being his highest good, his only good. His satisfaction, his delight is not in his material benefits, but, the, but in the God who bestowed them upon him. He accepts this, these gifts with joy, but his satisfaction, his contentment is not in them, but, upon, but in the hands of the God who bestowed them upon him. If those benefits are threatened, he is still secure in the hands of God. If our contentment is in God alone, then our concern for safety, especially when we face the loss of material possessions, need not trouble us. Because all we have is God, and when we have God, we have enough. So the second movement from petition for safety to joyful praise comes from the realization of our contentment in the one from whom we have received all good things. A joy that will remain even if those benefits are threatened or lost. David continues, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart, instruct, in, in, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. The third step in the movement from petition to praise is a commitment to walking according to the counsel of God. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also my heart instructs me. Those who have petitioned God for safety because they know him as their God and are loyal to him not only experience rest but receive his counsel to guide their hearts at all times especially in times of difficulty and danger. Uh, the word heart is literally my kidneys or my innards. You know, Usually when we face trouble it's our innards are upset they're disturbed but when our trust is in God he instructs us through our inmost being God guides David in his conscience in the quiet of the night God gives him practical advice for life especially in times of trouble in how he ought to conduct himself see a life of prayer is not only speaking to God but listening to God's counsel God speaks to us from his word through his spirit often when I like lay awake at night not very often but there are nights <laughs> with a troubled heart my recourse is to read God's word and, and kneel by my bed and pray our brother Javier who is not here today uh, he has written a book on the Psalms uh, there was one night when I was so troubled I took his book and I read on a particular psalm it was so comforting see God's word assures us of his love it, it guides us our thoughts toward him in whom we have sought refuge I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. See, God doesn't counsel David from a distance. God is present with him in his troubles. God's presence keeps him stable in otherwise unsettling times of trouble. God is not absent in our troubles. 
He is our refuge and strength, our very present help, as Psalm 46 puts it. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. See, God shows the psalmist a way of life even when he is threatened with death, as we will see in the the next verse is, see the right response to God's counsel is to act on it. What good is counsel when it is ignored? Especially when it's from God. But before we go to the next verses, notice that David blesses the Lord. That's how we began our service. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, see, we often speak of God blessing us, but how can we bless God? You know, we are familiar uh, with praising God. But isn't blessing God, isn't blessing anyone for that matter, to bestow some benefit on that person? How can we bless God if all that we have is from God? Uh, blessing is a common language. Blessing God is the common language of the Old Testament. Our, uh, our gratitude toward God is expressed in our desire to honor God by giving Him our best. Obviously, God's self-sufficiency... Uh, means that we don't add anything by bestowing our blessings upon Him. Uh, but it is an expression of our love, our gratitude, our faith in, in giving Him the best of all that He has given us. So the third step in our movement from petition for safety to joyful praise is to receive and respond to God's counsel. No wonder David concludes, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. See, when David expresses loyalty to the God who has chosen him to be his own, and finds his contentment in God alone as his greatest good, and when he walks according to God's counsel, David's petition for safety turns into joyful praise confident praise. He petitioned God for safety in verse 1. In verse 9, he not only declares that he has found safety, but as, as a result he rejoices with his whole being. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. He's filled with gladness. He breaks out rejoicing. Every aspect of his being is joyfully secure. Those of us who have been rescued from uh, harrowing experiences, we know this feeling, this joy of deliverance. His explanation for his joy and safety is found in verses 10 and 11. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He gives three reasons for his joy. God will deliver him from death. God will guide him in the path of life. God will bring him into his presence. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. David calls himself the Holy One for two reasons. First, he's holy because of his covenant relationship with his holy God, who has brought him into that relationship with himself. He's also holy because he's loyal to his God. Uh, he's, a, he's one who fears the Lord. He says, God will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol was this shadowy world of death. Uh, to enter it is to come to an end of all ways of meaningful existence. Most Importantly, it was an end. Uh, it, it robbed one of participation in, of, of life with God. 
No one could es escape the clutches of Sheol. The only hope of rescue from Sheol was in the hands of Yahweh. See, resurrection is only progressively known. All revelation comes to us progressively. And, and, and resurrection truth comes to us only in the later stages of the old covenant uh, people's lives. Only in exile, in, in, through Daniel, we know that there's going to be a, a great resurrection that will come at the end of the age when both the, the righteous and the unrighteous will be raised to life and to judgment. So when David spoke these words, he probably wasn't think of, thinking of the hope of resurrection as we have, as those who are in Christ. Uh, what he's probably speaking of is that God has uh, rescued him from imminent death, the danger that to, uh, concerning which he had cried out to God, an untimely death that confronted him, uh, uh, and God has brought him to safety. See, God not only spares the psalmist from the deadly threat that he faced, God makes known to him the path of life. You make known to me the path of life, the counsel that he received from God, the guidance of God through his presence, helps them to walk in the pathway of life. God makes known the path that leads to Him. For life is to be found only in God. See, we have, we, we have been speaking of the way in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is the ultimate way. He says that concerning Himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. As we walk in that pathway of life with Jesus, we enter into life with God. David's joy and safety finally are found in God's presence. Uh, that is David's assurance, even in another psalm that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's been spared from whatever death faced him. God has made clear the way of life, and that path leads to God in whom alone there's joy, there's pleasure, there's fullness of joy. Yahweh himself stood at David's right hand to, confront, uh, to, to comfort him in verse 8. But now David finds himself at God's right hand forever, experiencing his blessing. Is it, um, God will not let him die. God has shown him the way of life. He will enjoy life in God's presence. Safety and joy are found in communion with God. See, for, for David, that, that path from petition for safety to joyful praise proceeds through loyalty to the God who had chosen him. Contentment in the God who is his greatest good, even his only good, and a commitment to act on the counsel of God. How about us? We too live in a world where there is much that threatens our well-being, our safety. How do we find our pathway to praise amid the dangers and difficulties of life? Our peace, our praise, our protection, all ultimately flow from Jesus in whom and from whom and through whom we receive all that is good from God. He is the one who is truly the Holy One of God. And He is the one who secures us in life and death. He is the one who did not see corruption. He is the Holy One of God. Uh, both Paul and Peter interpret Psalm 16, especially verses 8 through 11, in light of Jesus. The ultimate heir of David, in whom alone this psalm finds its fulfillment. God delivers Jesus not by protecting him from death, but through his resurrection by which he even conquers death through death. We heard Peter's words that Liz read for us this morning in Acts 2, 25-32 on, uh, on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came upon his people and, David, uh, and Peter preaches uh, 
and says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at, uh, at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. I'm not reading from Psalm 16. I'm reading from Acts chapter 2. And Peter goes on to say, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, who wrote the words of Psalm 16, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath with, with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Paul similarly in Acts chapter 13, verses 32 to 37. And we bring to you the good news that God, that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, psalm we just looked at, you will not let your holy one see corruption. And Paul too comes to the same conclusion. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up, he did not see corruption. See, it's not David who was kept from the decay and death. His remains were still in the grave that was present in their midst. Both Peter and Paul make it very clear that David spoke not of himself, but of the Messiah. While David experienced some deliverance from imminent mortal danger at the time of his writing of his psalm, he would go on to die. It is in Jesus who was raised from the dead that the expectations of Psalm 16 are fully met and fulfilled. It is Jesus the Messiah who was not abandoned to Hades. It is Jesus the Messiah whose flesh did not experience corruption. It is David's son who is also the son of God. Jesus whom God raised from the dead and therefore not only kept him from the corruption of death but even defeated death in his death. It is Jesus who has been exalted to God's right hand above all power and authority. The whole psalm is to be read in light of Christ. It is Jesus who is the path of life. It is Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father. It is Jesus who is Lord. He, he is the Lord who not only was raised from the dead to live forever, but He will also raise His people to eternal life with Him. What does this mean for us? Both Peter and Paul apply the fulfillment of this psalm in Jesus to their audience in the same way. Peter let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. Paul, Acts 13, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. If God has raised 
Jesus from the dead, Jesus is Lord. If you're here this morning and if you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, do so today. Otherwise, your life is fraught with the greatest danger, eternal death, God's judgment. But if you believe today that Jesus Christ died for your sin and was raised on the third day, you will not have to fear. You will be saved from sin and from death and from the devil. For those of us who have trusted in Christ, uh, we are secure from death by virtue of our standing in Christ. It is His death that has freed us from death. It is in relationship with Him that we find fullness of joy. That is what our brothers and sisters who are being baptized this afternoon will testify. That they stand in Christ. In Christ, in the death of Christ to sin, their sins have been taken away. In their being raised from the waters, they are identified with the, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ to which they are united to the newness of life in God. Luther would tell us to daily remember our baptism. When the devil confronts you with your sin, remind yourself of your baptism. You stand before God not because you're not a sinner, but because your sins have been taken away in Christ to whom you are united. We stand before God righteous not because of a righteousness of our own that comes through the works of the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ who is the Holy One of God. So when we stand before Him, God sees us in Christ. There is no greater security in life and in death. So that's the question the psalm raises for us this morning. Where do we find our security? Where do we find our safety in times of trouble? Where do we go for refuge? See, David finds his refuge in the God in whom he trusts. We saw his movement from petition to safety, uh, petition for safety to joyful praise. Uh, and, and that movement was along this pathway of loyalty to God to whom he belonged, contentment in God who was his ultimate good, and a commitment to the counsel of God. Uh, we find our security in Christ leading to joyful praise along that same path. David first found safety that leads to praise because he belonged to God to whom he was loyal. See, we too, like the psalmist, can say, You are my Lord. We sing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We belong to Jesus because Jesus has made us his own. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. Did you hear that? We belong to Jesus Christ because the Father has chosen us in him to be his own. Blessed assurance indeed. See, Jesus is ours because Jesus says, you are mine. This is the fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Go on and read God's promises to his people in Isaiah 43. They have become true of us in Christ Jesus. We belong to the Lord Jesus. We need not be afraid. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast, and he does. And he will. 
Like the psalmist, we find safety that leads to praise through Christ to whom we belong. Second, David found safety because he found contentment in God alone. We too, like the psalmist, can find our contentment in Christ. He is our ultimate good. He is our only good. He is our portion. He is our inheritance. Our lines have fallen in pleasant places if we belong to Him. We need not fear the loss of our possessions if our ultimate good is in Christ. Paul writes to the Philippians, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We are united to Christ. We are adopted in Christ. We belong to God in Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. All that is Christ is ours by virtue of our union with Him. What earthly good compares with all that? Like the psalmist, we find safety that leads to praise through contentment in Christ, who is our greatest good. Finally, David found safety because he followed the counsel of God. We too find safety that leads to praise when we walk in the way of Christ that He makes known to us through His Spirit. He is our wisdom. We have His mind. He instructs us through His Spirit who permanently indwells us to form us in Christ's likeness so that we may be His witnesses. He promised us in John 14, 26, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When we walk... In the counsel of the Holy Spirit, we find safety that leads to joy. If we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh that lead to death. Safety that leads to joyful praise is found by following the counsel of Christ that He grants us through His Word and by His Spirit. We walk in the path of life when we walk in His counsel. We too, my brothers and sisters, live in a world fraught with dangers of all kinds. We too ought to cry out to God, preserve me, O God, keep me safe, O God. And we too can find that safety that leads to joy, not just in this life, but life eternal that is ours in Christ. We belong to Christ. Christ is our inheritance. Christ leads us in the path of life through His counsel. We too find fullness in joy in the presence of God through the counsel of Christ by His Spirit. I told you that Psalm 16 is... My favorite, not because I already live like David confesses here, but it is certainly my aspiration to live that way, so I make it my prayer. As a child, we sang the first stanza of this great hymn every night in our family prayer. As a child, it was only a prayer for protection through the night. See, unlike Carlos, I didn't feel safe in my sleep. <laughs> But as I grew up, uh, this, this, this song means so much more about finding safety in God that leads to joy. Just as much as that little phrase, Jesus loves me, this I know. When a kindergartner says that, he says it with a level of understanding that, uh, that's nothing compared to the person who has walked with God many years of his life who says, Jesus loves me, this I know. So also this the song. Let's make it our prayer. Let's read together as our prayer. Abide with us. Fast falls the even tide. The darkness deepens. Lord with us abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, 
help of the helpless, O oh, abide with us. Swift, swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around we see. O thou who changest not, abide with us. Come now in power as the king of kings. All kind and good with healing in thy wings. Save from our woes and hear, O Lord, our plea. Come, friend of sinners, and abide with us. We need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself our guide and stay can be? Through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with us. We fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? We triumph still if thou abide with us. Hold thou thy cross before our closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point us to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with us. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.